0: Listeners, your support empowers us to lead the conversation for the church and the world. This week at America, help us reach our fundraising goal and keep the show going by donating at patreon.com slash americamedia.
1: Welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the compellingly young, devastatingly hip, and incorrigibly lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And Zach Davis.
2: Hello everyone
1: Hello, you're wearing your fall sweater
0: I am, mm-hmm. it's a fall
2: day, you're wearing your fall sweater Yeah. Folders. I'm not,
1: I'm never dressed appropriately in the office
2: <laughs> Well it's smart because the studio does get hot as recording goes on So starting and out chilly right now but
1: his Your sweater has oars on it, which I really like
2: Because yeah, you a, don't really
1: strike me as a crew person
2: Nope, but uh <laughs> Mine target.
1: has a fox no, He'll do I anything for fashion Yes <laughs> Uh,
2: what are we drinking this week, Zach? So this week we are drinking a uh, Trappist Ale from Spencer Brewery. Uh, this was donated to us by uh, listener Stephen Grant. Uh, and that's a
1: monastery brewery, Yeah, right? so
2: so it's... Made by monks. Made by monks. And it's an authentic Trappist product from Spencer Brewery in Spencer, Massachusetts. So and it
1: came from Stephen Grant, who's a great supporter of... Mm-hmm. Stephen and Dina Grant, uh, both great supporters of the show. And we are so grateful for all they give to us. Yes, thank you guys.
2: Thank you so much. <laughs> Cheers.
1: Cheers. Uh, Who are we talking to this week, Olga?
0: This week we're talking with Elise Italiano. She is the founding executive director of the Given Institute and a columnist for Catholic News Service. The Given Institute is this really cool nonprofit organization that helps young Catholic women prepare for roles inside and outside of the church.
2: Yeah, and it sounds like, I mean, you guys are going to get involved in this after. You sound like ideal candidates, but... Yeah, uh, no,
1: it's really cool. They have a a forum every two years that brings together Catholic uh, women in positions of leadership in the church and in the business world and public service. So yeah, we have a great conversation with Elise coming up. But first, Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's
2: our first story, Ashley? Ashley?
1: So the bishops are gathered in Baltimore this week for their annual fall meeting. And what was supposed to be at the top of the agenda was voting on protocols for dealing with sex abuse, specifically how to hold bishops accountable for how they have failed to deal with sex abuse. But at the last minute, um, the Vatican asked them not to make this vote.
0: Yes. And this was in a... As Ashley mentioned, this was a surprise announcement. Cardinal Daniel Donardo, who is the head of the USCCB, stated that they were asked to wait until the February meeting in Rome with the heads of bishops from around the world.
2: And that meeting is sort of what everyone's looking towards. And Cardinal Donardo is hopeful that there are going to be steps that come out of that meeting that apply to maybe the whole church. Uh, we noticed that our Facebook group was posting about this. Um, we share your shock, anger, mm-hmm. bewilderment, and pain about what's going on. Um,
1: and it seemed like the bishops were kind of caught off guard, too. Like, they, they feel they want to and they feel a lot of pressure to take concrete actions in the wake of the terrible scandals of this past summer.
2: So so let's go over some possible reasons the Vatican might have ordered the delay in voting on something like this.
1: Yeah. So one, you mentioned the, the, the heads of all the uh, bishops bishops' conferences around the world are meeting at the Vatican in February to talk about sex abuse. So there's a thought that maybe Pope Francis wants there to be like a unified global response and not to have, you know, different conferences going at their own pace.
2: Right. And if the Vatican establishes some norms for holding bishops accountable, this would be a really good thing that right because this is not a problem just in the u.s church but for the global church as we've talked about here on the show but the thing that i felt frustrated by was that there was this announcement given without any more context right it was just don't vote and we're not going to tell you why
0: right and it's it's frustrating because time and time again we've had lay people who have said church you need to listen to us here's what we need so seeing them do this to just not vote it's just it's so frustrating and it's I feel so disillusioned right now by this.
2: And, uh, you know, you mentioned that some of the bishops felt maybe caught off guard or frustrated by this. Uh, I'm just sort of waiting for bishops to get angry about Mm. sex abuse in general. I think one of the things that I've been continually frustrated by since this scandal broke again is that I think about if I was a parent, what I would be going through if one of my own children were sexually abused and the anger I would feel, mm-hmm. and I think that's a totally natural response. Like anger does not have to be sinful in any way. Mm-hmm. And if these men are our spiritual fathers, why aren't they? Why aren't they angry on yeah. our behalf? Right? They can. They've expressed disappointment and sorrow, but I'm I'm ready to see some anger. Agreed. And what it? But and then the next question after that is, what is it going to take to turn that anger into action?
1: Yeah, Zach. That is the important question. And like I feel like we often talk about this in terms of like terrible optics, but it's so much more than like bad optics it's it's a real disconnect between what the what the lay people are demanding and what the vatican seems to be prioritizing um and so it's really disappointing um and if you want to learn more about uh this whole situation you should listen to america's other podcast inside the vatican with colleen dully and gerard o'connell um they're going to be dedicating a lot of the episode this week to this story What's our next story, Zach?
2: So our next story uh, also has to deal with uh, how the Vatican's dealing with sex abuse. Pope Francis has appointed Archbishop Cicluna to the top role in addressing uh, abuse crisis in the Vatican. So that means that uh, Archbishop Charles Cicluna is now the secretary adjunct of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. And so that's a lengthy title. But what it effectively means is this: he's going to have a lead role in fighting sex abuse in the church.
1: Yeah, and he is someone who has a lot of credibility in this issue, right, Olga? Yes, he
0: has We've talked about him in previous episodes. He's been a he's been the face of the Catholic Church in the fight to eliminate sexual abuse of minors, and he enjoys a lot of enormous credibility among both people within the church and survivors as well.
1: Yeah, he's the guy that Pope Francis sent to Chile earlier this year after he had the Pope kind of bungled his response to the sex abuse crisis there. He sent um S-Sucluna, who issued this report which actually led to all of the bishops in Chile offering their resignation. So he is this Unlike the previous story, this is seems to be the Vatican taking this issue seriously. But, you know,
2: one mm-hmm. step forward, one step back. And this in this I, to bring it back to the United States, this goes right into our next story.
0: So last week, Scott Santorosa, he's a Jesuit and the provincial of Jesuits in the from the western province, announced that.
2: Western province of the United States. Of
0: the United States, correct. He announced that this province will be releasing the names of members of the order who have been accused of the sexual abuse of minors. And this dates as far back as the
2: 1950s.
1: Yeah. And they're going to release this on December 7th. So we don't have the names yet, but they have made this annou- announcement.
2: Right. So this could be pretty painful for a lot of Jesuit institutions. And this is an important. So we don't have a lot of information about the story, but we wanted to bring it because not just because it's about the Jesuits and, you know, as Jesuitical, we serve with and alongside the Jesuits. But also it points to an often overlooked facet of the sex abuse crisis in the church, and that is religious orders. A lot of the the media attention is often around dioceses opening up the records or what have you. But there is a whole other part of the church of religious orders that also have a history that they need to deal with. And so we'll be paying more attention to the story as it develops. What's our next story, Ashley?
1: Pope Francis is recognizing the martyrdom of James Miller, who was uh, an American. He was born in... uh wisconsin
2: yes born in wisconsin
1: um and he served in uh nicaragua and then in guatemala and was killed at the age of 37 during the uh civil war in guatemala um where he was serving as a teacher
0: now this would make him the first de la sal christian brother from the united states to be beatified
2: yeah i brought this story because miller was both from the midwest like me but he was also uh a young person 37 years old i think is still mm-hmm. definitely young um and I noticed that when Father James Martin, our colleague, posted the story on his Facebook that a lot of people were commenting, noting their connect- connections to James Miller. Uh, he was their teacher. He was their father's first cousin. And you know, Saints can often sometimes feel very far away. But, you know, I don't know. I thought this story being, you know, not that long ago, you know, he died in the 80s and as a young person and, you know, people are still alive, like who are directly connected to him and on social media for that matter. Yeah. Um, this one feels pretty close to home. What's our next story, Olga?
0: So on the Catholic basketball beat, I'm actually really excited about this story. (laughs) Glad uh, someone
2: is on the (laughs) beat.
0: You know, just keeping our listeners informed. Um, So the New York Knicks have, they drafted a small forward this year. His name is Kevin Knox. And he came, he went to high school in Tampa. He went to a Catholic high school. um, And in September, I believe, he got this really cool Puma deal. Um, And as part of this deal. What's a Puma deal? Like a sneaker deal. A Puma sneaker deal. Not like the
1: actual
2: Cat. No, 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 no.
0: <laughs> not like the actual cat. Right. But um, but yeah. So he got this deal. But as part of this contract, Puma has to give his high school money for their um athletic. Yeah,
2: ten thousand dollars over gear of of Puma gear, and some of that's paying for their travel for all Catholic athletics in the school. So that that is great. And I just want to point out when I finally get drafted. <laughs> I will make sure to do the coming. same for Team Jesuitical. So, <laughs> wow. Uh, Thanks. I don't know who's going <laughs> to offer me the huge shoe contract, but
1: uh, we won't hold our breath. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Joining us in studio today is Elise Italiano. She is the founding executive director of the Given Institute and a columnist for Catholic News Service. Welcome to
3: Jesuitical, Elise. Thanks for having me. It's great to be
0: here. Uh, so first question, what is the
3: Given Institute and why was it founded? That's great. Uh, great question. The Given Institute um, was born, well, it was founded in uh, this past February in 2018. We were formally incorporated. We were founded based on a, a massive um, leadership development forum that took place in 2016. So the Council of Major Superiors of Women Religious does not roll That's right off the top. Yeah. <laughs> I, have try- I get exhausted every time I say it. Um, so a group of uh, women religious who are in superior roles uh, in communities got together and they were given a grant by um, a, a big philanthropic foundation during the year of consecrated life. And this foundation said- it so this was wa- a few
2: years ago. It was a few
3: years ago. Yeah. They said, um, we want you to do something that will be not heavy handed um, in terms of exposing young people to the joy of religious life um, and maybe just inspire them generally to explore the question of what their vocation is, what their meaning, what, what their life's meaning is or their purpose. So 75 religious sisters came to Washington, D.C. for five days. There were 300 young women. They had sort of executive coaching, leadership development, management courses. They had faith formation. Um, Different lay and religious women who are leaders in the church presented kind of what they do and showed them different ways that they can get involved in their church, uh, really accompany and help um, our church leaders.
1: Yeah, I think having um, as a Catholic woman who studied religion in college, there's also often this question like, okay, I'm a Catholic studying religion. I might not want to be a religious sister so like what am i gonna do with this degree exactly Um, and like what is my place in the church uh if i can't become
3: a priest (laughs) i totally sympathize my i got a Master's in theology degree. my dad said, that's great. Now, how are you going to be employed? Uh, <laughs> so i um, here to say, Dad, I am still employed with a the theology dad. degree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this event took place. Um, five women entered religious life, but the 295 others had really interesting stories. Some of them started nonprofits. Um, we have this great story of a young woman, Michelle, who uh, heard Sister Norma Pimentel talk about her work at the border. And she wound up uh, immediately leaving what she was doing after she graduated college. She went to the border, spent a year with Sister Norma. Um, said, Sister Norma, you need someone who has a master's in social work who can really accompany you. And she said, I'm going to go get a master's in social work. So she came back after getting that degree. And now she works with Sister Norma a wow. right at the right at the border. And so given gave birth to these types of stories. Um, we have more on our website, giveninstitute.com, for you to see. Uh, but the long and short of it is the sister says, this was really great. This should not be a one-off event. We need to build out a way for the church to continue to invest in young women and women who are in leadership positions to pass the torch. Yeah,
1: and not necessarily leadership positions within the church, right? Whatever their vocation might be.
3: Exactly. So I came in Bard in February and we we said, okay, what, what do these women need? What does the church need? And we developed... Um, This model where we will have these leadership forums every other year, um, and we have five tracks that women can apply for. Um, So young women can apply for an entrepreneurial track, so those with new ideas but who need mentorship and getting things off the ground. Post-missionary track, so those who have been doing volunteer core work um, or serving as missionaries that need to transition to their next step, kind of empowering them to see what skills that they've gained and how they're are employable or can so be these used. would be
2: like the post-college volunteer programs exactly like jesuit volunteer, jesuit volunteer Corps. Corps would be one exactly. of them
3: yeah uh women who work in within church positions official church structures in a variety of capacities uh we have a track for women who are in business or marketing or have secular professions and are looking for help integrating their faith um, and then lastly a general discernment track which is kind of like the catch-all for women who don't quite fit into one of those tracks but know that they have a heart for mission and an aptitude for leadership.
1: Have any um bishops or other church leaders turned to given In institute and all the like great ideas that seem to be coming out of it for advice on how to make the church a better place for women to work.
3: That's great. Well, um, they have. So after the first forum, we uh, the sisters sent a note to every bishop telling them who came, what they did. The women went back and, and met with their bishops and talked. Um, so we're hoping that that is a model. I have to say the the bishop um, it was a cardinal who said the closing mass at the first Given forum looked out and said to the the well, to Mother Agnes who ran it. He said, "This is what a healthy church looks like." So sadly, uh, Given was launched, or maybe providentially, in the face of yet. Another iteration of a scandal, um, where we're looking for credible leaders and we're looking for faithful leaders, um, and I'm hopeful that the bishops will turn to their sisters and say, "Help a brother out." Um, and so we'd love to p- to pair uh, to pair up with our bishops and shepherds in the work um, of the church. Uh,
2: yeah, I don't mean to suggest that like women should be responsible for cleaning up the uh, the mistakes of men, but what. Are some unique ways that women could sort of re- make this a healthier church, and especially in the wake of the sexual abuse crisis?
3: Sure. Um, you know, women are working alongside of bishops uh, at least— and and church leaders in really interesting ways. You know, um, I'd love to see a study from CARA or America, follow up study that that you did to see where are women, where do women hold meaningful leadership positions? Where are they strategic advisors? Where where are they kind of right alongside of their shepherds? You know, we have chancellors and superintendents, um, women who work in diocesan financial offices, um, and those who work in the tribunals. Um, so that's happening. I think. The interesting conversation uh, that bishops are having, and again, sad that it took the abuse crisis to do this, is to examine where ordination is required for governance or administration, where it's preferred, and where we actually might imagine welcoming in lay or religious women um, to to take over some of those roles. So I think we're just at the beginning of exploring that conversation.
1: Yeah, and that was a big takeaway from—we recently had the Synod of Bishops on Young People um, in October, and I think one of the major takeaways that was in the final document that came out of that is that— Women need to be space, in spaces of decision making, uh, in the church. Were, were you left feeling hopeful about that after after the synod?
3: I'm kind of just in a wait and see mode, yeah. um, and hopefully praying more than um comment commenting these days. Or maybe, we'll see how that goes. But um, I think the synod is a is an opportunity to say we need quality, not quotas. So we really need women who are, uh, faithful, who are, um. You know, they love the church, they want to see it healthy and strong, they want it to be mission effective, um, and they're competent and they're skilled. And um, if we can get those women um, at tables, kneeling down next to their bishops praying, um, I think we're going to be in a much stronger position. You know, a lot of bishops in the Pages of America and in other publications have talked about and kind of scratched their head about, you know, we need to figure out, and the, and the Holy Father included, you know, we really need to to pivot um, and invite women. And I'd love to see, again, a study to show the impact of where they are, um, where these women are, um, who are faithful and competent, uh, what difference that's making. Because I think we'd have some great stories to tell.
1: Yeah, that was one thing. We So America did uh, commission this survey of Catholic women last year. Um, and then we had a follow-up article about places that women are in leadership positions and they are, they are principals. They're, you know, uh, head of hospitals. Uh, My mom works for the Archdiocese of, of Washington. Like they are there, but I think there's this like, I don't know paradox where like they're such good, humble servant leaders that they're not like touting their their influence in any way. So the women looking in on the church don't don't see them. The face of the church is the bishop or the priest, not these women who are working behind the scenes and do have influence already. Right.
3: I I mean Yes, you're absolutely right. And I think what Given really wants to do is just pull back the curtain. So when women, I mean, the the pre-Synadal document, the the young woman said, we just want to see where we can be of help. And what we'd love to do with Given is say, here's how the women are helping. Here are your role models. We can, you know, here are people to mentor you and imitate you. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, for you to imitate.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So is is Given sort of looking to speak to women who are, I guess, I don't know how to phrase this, in a sense, already convinced, who are not already starting to disaffiliate from the church or how does it sort of go after all of the people um, who are already sort of on the fringes or have a lot of problems with their role in the church?
3: Um, the primary audience at present is going to be women who are at some point at, you know, to some degree, intentionally engaged with their faith in that. Given those problems I outlined, we need women who are kind of on board. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. At the same time, part of that entrepreneurial track is to equip women to develop ways to evangelize and reach out to their peers. So, really, not to be heavy, heavy-handed, but to go into the culture. Um, our Lady of Guadalupe is our patron, and um, you know, one thing I love about her is that there's no one better example than kind of going into a culture, meeting people where they're at, and then bringing them to Christ, like totally nonviolently. You go and you dress like them. Um, you present in the way, you know, Jesuits know this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is it enculturation incult- or mm-hmm. acculturation? I'm like having inculturation. <laughs> um, it's the alcohol. No. Um, but the hope eventually, I mean, we we would also like and welcome women who, who have questions and who are curious um, just to come and see. That's, the, that's what Jesus says. Come and see. Um, if you like it, we hope you stay.
2: what's the, the relationship between, uh, religious sisters and the lay women collaborating or why is it important that these two groups are sort of working together and
3: talking to one another sure I think it's already happening if you look at religious orders uh, especially those where they're they're getting a lot of vocations you also see groups of lay women supporting them we've been thinking about uh, priests and that they have to be managers and they have to be all these other things that they're not trained for in seminary well the same is for religious sisters you know they have to be human resource heads and they have to deal with financial things so women lay women are already accompanying them um, but I think it's a great way to show again the diversity of ways that women are are called or have responded um you know not all religious sisters are alike not all charisms are alike not all lay women are alike so we just want to show um you know it's kind of like the communion of saints There as many people as there are in the world that's as many ways there are to be a saint and when it comes to women there's kind of you know I think the church could kind of start to imagine ways, uh, maybe new ways. I don't mean to sound totally theoretical, but, you know, where is there a need and where haven't we thought through um, where women particularly could be of help? Two examples come to mind of young uh, female entrepreneurs who are doing great work for the church. Um, The first is Molly Burhans, who's been featured in the Pages of America uh, magazine and with you as a guest. Um, She's looking into how the church can support responsible land usage. Um, So she's pretty much doing La si in a really interesting way, but not through official church structures. She's kind of on her own uh, living out the mission. Uh, of the church. Um, another woman who comes to mind, uh, a young woman named Corinne, who participated in the first Given Forum. She has a website called The Catholic Woman, and she accepts letters, uh, handwritten letters, and then she publishes them from all types of millennial women. Um, and she she has portraits of them, and they each talk about real struggles. Um, there have been young women who have talked about being an Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, there have young women talked about being the only Catholic in their family. Um, and they're all shapes and sizes. Um, they come from all backgrounds, um, ethnic, socioeconomic, et cetera. And her goal is to just show um, it's kind of a pre-evangelization, like here are here are Catholic women. They're not all uh, praying all day in the chapel. So those two come to mind uh, kind of outside of normal structures, but doing something creative. So least thank you so much for
0: joining us in studio. We've got one final question for you. If you could canonize anyone, living or dead, Catholic or not Catholic,
3: who would it be and why? I am so excited. I'm a faithful listener to the <laughs> podcast. So when I got the invitation, I've been thinking about it for weeks. Um, and I have to say, uh, I hope no one has done this. I hope I haven't missed an episode, but, um, or if they have more power, more power to them. We're actually just tallying votes. Yeah, okay. yeah. Whoever I mean, has the most at the end is for submitting well, to the Pope. certainly, yeah, their cause will be open. Um, <laughs> I've got to say Flannery O'Connor, um, the American Catholic writer. Um, I'd like to think she's the patron of Misfits. Um I don't know if you've read her work or not, but she really seems to grasp um, the reality of not quite belonging, um, which essentially as we are that as Catholics. Um, but I think particularly at this time... Uh, she's really helpful for those of us who feel like ecclesial misfits. Um, you know, our country is polarized and our church is suffering from the same polarization. And I, for one, often feel like I don't I don't really belong. You know, I'm someone who wants to take advantage of all of the riches of the church and often feel like uh, kind of alone. And when you find someone else in that position, you kind of cling. Um, and I, I think Flannery is my patron right now saying—or um, patroness, I should say— um, you know, it's okay not to belong. Um, you're you're close to Christ. Do you have a favorite Flannery like character? uh my favorite story is a good man is hard to find um i love her prayer journal and then there is this obscure introduction she wrote in a book called the life of marianne it's about a young girl who had cancer who the dominican sisters of the hawthorne dominican sisters in new york took in and and they couldn't get anyone to write the introduction because this young girl was so physically grotesque and um flannery didn't even want to write it herself and the sister said to her um you know, our vocation is the grotesque and so is yours. And if anyone's ever read Flannery, you know, she's not <laughs> afraid of of things that are quite awkward um, and unbecoming. And so um, that introduction, it's very obscure, but it's one of my favorites. Awesome. All right. So St. Flannery, I, I feel like we did just get... Did we?
0: It does sound... Or maybe we just... We got yeah. Dorothy yeah. Day recently? Yeah, Dorothy, maybe no. we
2: just... Yeah, I love Flannery. I'm yeah. psyched yeah. at it. I would, <laughs> yeah. I would, I would She's add, great. Yeah. yeah. St. Flannery all right. Well thank, thank you, Elise, for and, being here. And where
3: can people find out more about the Given Institute? Sure. We're at giveninstitute.com. And we are on, let's see if I can get this. I'm aging out of probably the millennials here. Um, we're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, I think that's probably uh, YouTube. Um, and it's Snapchat? all. <laughs> we're not on Snapchat, mostly because we have a small staff and I can't figure it out. Uh, all at Given Institute.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you so much. Please.
1: And now it's time for some housekeeping. First, uh, we will not be around next week. We are taking some time off for Thanksgiving to spend time with our families and hope you are able to do that too. But we'll be back the week afterwards. Uh, Listeners in Philadelphia, there's a Solidarity on Tap uh, featuring Michael Gomez on the theme, Man for Others, a Rebel with a Gospel Cause. It's on Tuesday, November 27th at the Fieldhouse, and you can find more information at And
2: We've got one thing for all our listeners to do this week. Last week, the one thing was leave us some iTunes reviews, and everyone, well, lots of people at least, succeeded, and we'll shout you all out later. But your one thing this week is to uh, visit our Patreon page. We really value that community that this podcast has brought us, and we hope that you value the community that you're finding here too. And if that's the type of thing that you want to support or continue supporting, please go to our Patreon page and look at ways. Look for ways that you can support the show. It's patreon.com slash Media.
1: All right. Now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Olga? So this week I've got a
0: consolation. Um, last Friday, Enoch's cousin invited us to this youth ministry worship hour or not hour, but it was like an event that she was hosting on Friday. Um, and I was kind of like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to hang out with like teenagers on a Friday night. Um, but once I was there, it was really beautiful. I, I I wasn't involved in any kind of ministry as a teenager. So just being in that space and seeing young people talk about their faith and being so vulnerable and open um, and not at all performing in any way, I think because of the structure of our show, I often think of, okay, here's where I found God. Here's how it made me feel. Here's the conclusion that I arrived at. But being in that space and just listening to them say, like, here's where I am with my faith and just leave it at that. It was just really consoling to be sharing in that with them. So that was my consolation for this week.
2: Ah, love love some good youth ministry.
1: <laughs> I know. It's, it's really,
0: really fun. It really fun. is great. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: All right, what do you got, Ashley?
1: Uh, I also have a consolation. Uh, I went home to—I still call it home. <laughs> I went to my <laughs> parents' home in Arlington, it will Virginia. It'll always be home. Yeah. Um, that, and that is part of the consolation. I spent a lot of time with my uh, younger brother Thomas and older sister Jackie. Um, and I, always, whenever I'm with them, I just feel so grounded and loved, and we just have so much fun together. Um, and they just—I leave wanting to like be a better person because of how great they are um and i was like talking to eloise about like all right like where's the consolation in this and she was like i don't think you realize how like unique it is to have that kind of relationship with your siblings like a lot of people don't have that um, and I do and I I just left this weekend feeling so grateful for that um, and feeling just like I don't know New York can like bring me down a little bit and so I need to go home every every few weeks and it always it never fails to like make me feel loved and safe and able to take on the big city again so grateful for them
2: <laughs> taking your and you're crushing it this week
1: yeah <laughs> So far. What do you have, Zach?
2: Uh, This week, I'm also bringing a consolation. Uh, So it centers around this little prayer book. It's like a daily reflection. It's called Living Faith. um, And there are a lot of them like that. There's Give Us This Day or Magnificat. or They're sort of like grounded in like the readings of the daily mass readings um, with a little short reflection. And I was at a retreat house recently where I noticed this was sitting there. So I grabbed a copy because um, I recognized it from it being at my grandparents' house all the time growing up. And so my grandpa has prayed with this Living Faith book um, for as long as I can remember. And and he still does. And so I've been trying to use it this past week where, you know, the first thing I do when I get into the office is I'll pull up the daily readings. I'll read those and then I'll read the short little reflection. And the consolation is that God is you know, speaking to me through scripture um, and that's not something I've really praying with scriptures, not something I've done consistently in my life, but also in knowing that I'm praying in the same way that my grandpa has um, and still that's does, really cool. um, which has been really, really awesome. And so that is my consolation for this week. Nice. It's
1: a very intergenerational <laughs> consolation. <laughs> yeah, week. taking up
2: the Sunday the on the Youth's call to look at the ways you're, the ones who have gone before you've prayed.
1: Very good. All right. Jesuitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Adverbs provided by Michael McAuliffe. Jesuit Formation provided by Eric Sondrup SJ. Engineering by Kieran Freeman. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Shout out this week to Radical But Not Heretical. Definitely not Chris Gelke, Bushy too. Joseph P. McCormick, Newly News, and Amanda Samantha. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Zach's call to do one thing and leave us a review. And finally, you can send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at americamedia.org. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis, and we will not see you next week. We're off for Thanksgiving, but we'll see you the week after that.